listening to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast from Clear Creek Community Church, located in the Bay Area of Houston. Well, hey everyone, welcome to the Clear Creek Resources Podcast. I'm Ryan. Today I'm joined by Yancey Harrington and Mandy Turner. Hello. Here to, yeah. Hey. Welcome. Yeah, Glad thanks. you're on the podcast today. Thanks. Good to be here. So today we're going to talk about systematic theology. Woo-wee. Oh, yeah. Exciting. All right. So when someone goes to the uh, the classes pages on the website, there's a bunch of different classes on there, and some of them sound exciting, and some of them may not as much to some people. But there is one on there that, that sticks out. Like, there's a name that sounds pretty intimidating, and that is Systematic Theology. Both of y'all have taught it before, and so as we jump in and talk about Systematic Theology, what does that mean? What is Systematic Theology? Go ahead, Mandy. <laughs> well, I, okay, so what it doesn't mean, I think a lot of people kind of have this idea of... I don't like, I mean, kind of this big like machine where we're going to stamp out robots of Christians who think the same way. Like, I don't know. That's, that's kind of what it feels like to me when you're like a system, right? But that, that's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an organized approach to theology where we're, we're taking one topic, one doctrine at a time and working our way through it. We want to look at, um, John Frame is a systematic theologian that he says, you know, it's just what does the whole Bible teach us today about any given topic? And we're just going to, in an organized way, work through those topics, uh, the key doctrines of the faith. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. That's it. I mean, if you could, to give it an analogy, uh, Michael Horton, who's another systematic theologian, he says, like, imagine if you're putting a puzzle together, like a jigsaw puzzle, and the box top has the kind of like the big picture of the whole thing. <clears throat> That's what, and it makes sense of all the little parts. That's what systematic theology tries to do is give you the big picture of all of these. When we use the word doctrine, doctrine just means it's just a, a synonymous for teachings. Uh, so when we talk about the doctrines of the Bible or the doctrine of the atonement or the doctrine of salvation, we're saying the teachings of the atonement, the teaching of salvation, the teachings of the Bible. So it's just kind of the box top. Like what is what are the major teachings of Christianity? That's what systematic theology covers in short. So it's a you're right. It's a big fancy, frankly intimidating term, but it's really simple in what it's trying to explain. Are there other kinds of theology that people study or learn about? For sure. I mean, we even we have classes at our church where we teach like about biblical theology. Not that systematic theology isn't biblical. You know, that's actually the whole point is that you go through the Bible and look at what it says. But it's two different approaches, right? Biblical theology is going to look at what does the whole scripture say? What's the big story of scripture? Whereas systematic theology is going to tackle individual topics kind of one at a time. So they're related. And we actually do a lot of biblical theology in our classes. Um, and they're connected, but they're not exactly the same thing. Same with, you know, a historical theology that's going to look at what did the church believe about this topic, you know, 500 years ago? What did they believe about it 2,000 years ago? What did they believe about it 50 years ago? Um, that's going to, again, be a little bit different approach. Now, we do a lot of that, actually, as we tackle, you know, say if we're going to talk about the Trinity, well, you you can't get away with not talking about what did the church believe about this over time. Um, but again, it's just a, a, a little bit of a different approach. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and, and probably because of things like that, and there are all kinds of, there's philosophical theology and there's, you know, uh, Apologetics would be considered a branch of theology. You know, it's from the Greek word apologia, which means a defense. It's you know, how you defend the faith. It's the books like when you read, uh, like the Reason for God by Tim Keller, or uh, 
C.S. Lewis's uh, what's the mere Christianity? Mere Christianity. I, all of a sudden, I just blanked out. But those are kind of a, those are apologetics or defenses of the faith. I know apolo- apology sounds like it's not the right term, but technically, it just means a defense. All of those are theologies, and <clears throat> at Clear Creek, as Mandy noted, we we've kind of circled our horses around few a few of them that we think are really helpful for people trying to get a theological foundation for them. So systematic biblical theology which, you know, the big story of the Bible. And then while we don't do historical theology, we do do church history. And so those are kind of three things that if a Christian has has studied those, they really have a great foundation for going forward and, 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 and growing in their faith in a, in a theological way. So, hmm. All right, so you mentioned a couple different topics um, that are within systematic theology of the Trinity and the Bible and things like that. What are some other topics that someone would expect to... Uh, to learn if they go through a systematic theology class or read through a systematic theology book? Well, I just, <clears throat> all the major teachings of Christianity, I mean, it really could go ad infinitum, ad nauseum. I mean, you could get sick of the, the list you could create, but it tries to take the big nuggets of, so a doctrine of the Bible, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of, you know, then they break up the Trinity, doctrine of Jesus, the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, doctrine of the church, the doctrine of spiritual gifts, the doctrine of uh, the end times. I mean, those, I think that's five or six right there. Those are, those are major, <clears throat> if think of, if, if systematic theology, if you think of like a, a file system uh, in a file cabinet, those are the major file folders that you can organize much of what Christian teaching is about under those under those categories, and I, there's more that I've missed. I'm, you know, doctrine of salvation, these kinds of things. <clears throat> Pardon me, the doctrine of the, of of the cross. We talked about the atonement, but you, you're looking at like what are the major. Uh, if, if you're trying to do a drop down list, what are the major categories that you're going to use to put everything else under? That's what systematic theology is generally about, and it can get into the weeds with smaller doctrines. I mean, a major doctrine and a minor doctrine, like the difference would be like a major doctrine probably is going to be one of those things that you're going to hold on to close-fistedly, to say, to use a phrase, where these are kind of the non-negotiables of the faith, like a major doctrine would be the doctrine of atonement, the doctrine of salvation. Like, we believe that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, we're, we're going to hold on to that tightly, fight over it. But there are some minor doctrines. And when I say minor, I don't mean that people don't have uh, big convictions about them. <clears throat> but usually, we're not going to, we're, we're going to give some room for disagreement. So, for example, a minor doctrine, although it doesn't sound minor to people, would be like, exactly what does the millennium look like that we see in Revelation? And there's a whole doctrine behind that. So are you an amillennialist, a postmillennialist, a premillennialist? And if your head's swimming just listening to me, then what you would need to understand is those are that's a minor doctrine. Now, when we say minor doctrine, I'll say it once again. It doesn't mean it's not important. It just means that there are a lot of people that have different views on this that use scriptural support for their views. We're, we're probably not going to fight over that. So at Clear Creek, we don't, we don't, you know, you can believe any one of those and we would be fine with that. So... Uh, I know it's kind of a, a long answer to your question, but th- those are the kinds of things that systematic theology talks about. It, it goes with the major doctrines, and then it also will try to you know chase some rabbits into the minor doctrines as well, uh, just so that you can have a better grasp of the Christian faith in general. Hmm. All right, so Yancey, you've been teaching systematic theology at Clear Creek for how long? I think I'm on year nine or ten. I'm about a decade, yeah. Wow. So how long? I mean, why did you start teaching it long ago? I have a conviction that uh, systematic theology, <clears throat> pardon me, and theology in general, 
I'm sorry, I'm coughing. I just got through teaching systematic theology. We started our first our first systematic theology that we're doing with leadership development. We can talk about that in a little bit, but just that's two hours I just got finished up, so my, my throat's a little dry. My apologies for everyone listening, but <clears throat> excuse me. We I, I've had a conviction for a long time that theology isn't just the property of people who are pastors and professors, but that every follower of Jesus and everyone's a theologian. If if theology simply means the study of God, everyone's a theologian. You're, you're, you're just on a spectrum of being a really bad theologian, a really amazing theologian, and we're probably somewhere in between. I, I just, I wanted to take theology off the shelves of the pastors and academics and put it in the hands of just regular followers of Jesus, you know, the, the engineer and the scientist and the school teacher and the stay-at-home parent, and say, you know, let's just, you should be better theologians just like I should, and we should teach everyone to follow Jesus. You know, the the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is, is to drive some of that to me, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Then he says, teaching them to observe everything that I've commanded you. And I think systematic theology is a, is a, is a good way to, to get toward that endeavor, that, that end. And I just thought, everyone should know that. And so over the last 10 years, we've put in, I don't know, hundreds of people now have gone through that class. And I think to a person, you ask 99% of the people that have gone through it. It's not, it's not me. It's just the experience of going through seven and a half months of systematic theology. They would say that their, their lives spiritually have been changed because of it, because of, of working through these doctrines, because uh, there's, there's kind of a movement that happens. People want to know what they need to believe and maybe, maybe even more importantly, because a lot of people come in with those beliefs, why they believe what they believe. And so we're, we're creating a – systematic theology creates an infrastructure mentally for them to put those beliefs on and to look at them critically and kind of to jettison some stuff that they grew up believing that maybe they don't need to, <clears throat> but hold on to and build upon those truths that really are biblical – uh, biblical uh, theologies and doctrines to make them all the stronger as followers of Jesus. And so that's that's why I want to do that. And really, um, I mean, it even led me to do doctoral work in it because I was so convinced that adults need to grow, just lay people need to grow theologically. I mean, we, we live in a very theologically illiterate world. Uh, the church in America is incredibly theologically illiterate. There's a Barna study, not a Barna study, uh, some, some study, uh, in fact, uh, I, I have a note here. It's from the Pew Research on Religion and Public Life in 2010. Here's what they found on this nationwide survey of religious beliefs and religious knowledge. They found that atheists and agnostics and even people that were parts of cults were among the highest scoring groups in areas such as the core teachings of Christianity, surpassing Catholics and Protestants, mainline Protestants and evangelical Christians. And that's that's nothing to be proud of. That's an indictment on our theological illiteracy. And so... I wanted to raise our theological IQ because I felt like we'd be better followers of Jesus because of it. If we're trying to be fully devoted. That's one of the ways we get there. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So, Mandy, you were one of those students. Tell me about your experience. How long ago did you take Yancey's systematic theology class? Uh, it's going to be 10 years. 10, 10 years, years okay. ago. So you so were like on the front end. I've been doing it longer than that. I don't yeah. know how long I've... <laughs> Yeah, I don't think I was in the first group, but I was pretty pretty early. Back a long time ago. So, yeah, so what was it like for you? <laughs> well, um, you know, for me, a lot of it, 
was like like the season of life that I was in at that time. I, my oldest child had gone, went to kindergarten that year, and so I had been a stay-at-home mom for five years. Um, I still had two little kids at home. I had one more on the way, um, and I was really thankful that Josh had a flexible enough schedule that he could go into work late one day a week, take care of the kids so that I could come um, and go to class. And that was such a gift to me because um, whereas – being a mom, I would never say it doesn't require mental effort. It's just a totally different kind of mental effort. Um, and so for me to be able to kind of use my brain in a way that I wasn't necessarily as a stay-at-home mom to study and to learn, um, it, it challenged me. Um, I loved the reading. I loved um, in class being challenged to to articulate what I believed um, and to think critically about it, um, to, to question it and to um, just just decide if it was if it was really worth believing and if it really lined up with scripture the way that I hoped I would. Um, if you <laughs> I, I tend to think that this is really just proof that I'm like theology nerd level 99. I actually had a baby in January while I was taking that class and didn't miss class one. <laughs> because I had a baby on Friday and by the next week she came to class with me because I, I, did, I wanted to be there. Yeah, no maternity uh, leave in that, Systematic Theology. That's right. Yeah, we're pretty no, ruthless. No, yeah, no. got all kinds of so rough. This, that, this is not actually required or recommended. It's great to take. And you did the reading that stuff. week too? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I guess you were just like sitting around. Right. I mean, that's what you do after you have yeah. a baby. You just sit around when you've got yeah. three other It's two in the morning. She's got home. a flashlight. She's reading about the Doctrine of Atonement, trying to get it through. Yeah, but fun times. But you know, it was it was a lot of fun, and and it, it shapes. I mean, it shaped me personally and in my own walk, um, and also in you know in the way that I serve. It really helped me to see that that this was something that was transformative and that was necessary. So um, when I got the chance, I started to start teaching it too. Yeah. So how long ago was that, and and what made you want to do that? Well. This is my fifth. This will be my fifth year to teach systematic theology for women. Um, you know, one of the things that I saw was that there were a lot of people that I knew who would have liked to take Yancey's class, but maybe they had little kids at home. Maybe their husbands didn't have a schedule that let them um, stay home. They're trying to get kids out the door to school. Um, and at the season that I was in at that point, five years later, um, I, my kid, my youngest kids were going to peewee school two days a week. And so it freed up that part of my day that I could offer that. And so really the first year that I taught it, it was quite a few um, other peewee school moms, um, just some other, you know, moms whose kids were in school. Um, but it, it was it made it available at a time when it was something that people could actually attend. And it's been great. That's awesome. That's really awesome. And, and, you know, full disclosure, Manny's being gracious about uh, her approach to it all. I mean, I appreciate all the stuff that she says about what it's done for her. Truth is, Manny was already a a really pretty adept theologian when she got in. She was, I mean, she calls herself a theology nerd, which simply just means she's really theologically grounded. She, She could have probably taught the class the one that she was in with mine. But the fact that she says all those things that helped her, being as grounded as she already was walking in, just imagine for the person that doesn't have much of a theological grounding how how life-changing it is for them in light of how life-changing it was for her. And so, <clears throat> and again, we're both big theology nerds. If nerd simply just means you love something and you want to promote it, then, yeah, I guess I am one as well. Just because we've seen 
both of us uh, have seen the kind of impact it's had in the life of, of followers of Jesus at our church. It's huge. It's been super huge. And you've you've team taught that with other yes, other I ladies, taught the right? first two years with Christy Nelson, who is also an elder's wife at Clear Lake, um, and then I taught it with Sarah Derm, who serves in our children's ministry there, helps write curriculum. Fantastic. Um, they've both just kind of moved on to other things. Um, last year, I mostly taught by myself. Rachel Chester was supposed to teach with me, but ended up had kids with COVID and just a lot of getting pulled out. But this year she's on deck to teach it with me again. So hopefully she'll be. You hear that Rachel? Rachel's listening like, Oh my gosh, she just called me out. Now I've got to come help her out. Do this stuff. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Rachel will be a huge gift to that class. She uh, has so much training and so much knowledge um, and is an excellent teacher. So I'm super excited to have her there this year. Uh, Let me ask you this, Mandy. Why? It's a good question to ask because people do ask this and I think you've given great answers to me in the past. It's kind of like my default answer when people ask me, I just give them your answer, but people would say, why do we have systematic theology for women? Why is it just for women? Is there something about a dynamic of just having women in there? Uh, I mean, maybe share with people like why we do have it for women and not like a mixed class. Yeah. So I I mean, I wish I had the studies right in front of me because that would make me feel better, but the studies really have shown, research has shown consistently that in mixed groups, women in general, not every woman, right. um, but in general, women are less likely to talk. They're less likely to ask their questions. Um, they're less likely to engage in any way. Um, be, and, and that's just because socially we've been conditioned that women aren't supposed to be aggressive. And that's what comes across if you talk too much or you ask too many questions. Um, women also don't want to, you know, look dumb. And so they, they don't want to, they're hesitant. But men sure to don't mind. <laughs> <laughs> but, but all of those statistics shift when you go to just women in a setting. A single they, gender setting. They speak more. They're more willing to question. They're more willing to be vulnerable about what they don't know. They're more willing to shoot their shot, to try yeah. to answer a question when in a mixed setting, they would be much more likely to hesitate. So I, it's funny because when we first started to talk about this, and Mandy's like, I really want to do this. And I would say, Mandy, we have systematic theology. And at the time, we actually had another systematic theology led by one of our elders, and, it, you know, it's open for men and women. And Mandy was like, just, I really think, Yancey, that if we did this, we'd, we'd have a, there would be some women that just would feel more comfortable doing that. And sure enough, I mean, now you've done it for five years. Mm-hmm. So, and they, they get a really large group of people, relatively speaking, that participate in that class for those very reasons. And so it's just, uh, you know, that was a learn for us at Clear Creek. And uh, it's, 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 it's a feather in our cap, frankly, that we have a systematic theology class exclusively for women and um you know it, it's just i just appreciate i wanted to just kind of parse that out because i think it's worth noting when we talk about systematic about the stuff that the manny's helped lead the the front on as far as trying to help even people that might feel just regardless might feel a little dialed back and wanting to participate that uh, because of the, the gender that they are uh, to do that in a way like no we can we, we'll have one just for women by women and so uh, I just appreciate the nuance in that yeah so I mean you're you're citing some things in there that have been um, I guess studied but has that been your experience as well being in both a mixed class but then also teaching a women's class do you feel like there, there are women speaking now that normally would not in another setting. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's absolutely the case. I mean, I, I even remember when I, because that is not my tendency, I 
I can't. I probably talked. I'm sure I talked too much when I took Yancey's class. I, I'm not very hesitant. I probably should be more. But I mean, I would look around. Our class had. Our class actually had. I think more women than than men in it the year that I took it. Yeah. Um, but probably eighty percent of those women spoke less than once per class. Mm-hmm. Um, most of them were just there. They felt like they were there to listen and learn, which is. Which is totally fine. I I don't feel like I put pressure on people to speak. Um, but I do provide opportunities for them. We do a lot of like, okay, get with the person next to you. Okay, get with the three people around you and talk. And building those relationships in that way week after week, it just spurs people on to engage throughout the week as well. And I would say like we're probably 50-50. If anything, we're majority women when we have our classes. But – it still says something about, okay, but we, we, we have a class that we have men and women in mind, and yet Manny still has a, a full class with hers just with women. So it just mm-hmm. it proves the point, and I'm, I'm grateful for it. That's great. All right, so you mentioned that you did some doctoral research, so I should call you Dr. Arrington. You should. Um, I should. You should call me that. Uh, so, yeah, tell us about <laughs> what that was, what you were studying in that. Well, my, my study was, my dissertation is titled the, the the spiritual formation of adults and systematic theology and and so the whole idea was to discover how lay people just regular folk experience the dynamics of growing in Jesus dynamics of spiritual formation through being trained in systematic because I'd seen it I'd seen that <clears throat> systematic was was growing people in our church in ways that nothing else was and I I wanted to know why that was the case and I'm, I mean, I'm not anti-Bible study by any stretch of the imagination, but this was kind of like, this was different. And I was, the, I mean, I would have people who would, who, would, who would weep afterwards for how grateful and thankful they were for the growth that they experienced. And, you know, we joke like, what we're going to do here in Systemax, not your, not your grandmother's Sunday school, unless your grandmother's Sunday school is two hours every Thursday and they're going through Systematic. And... And it's it's hard and it's daunting and it's a big thick book of twelve to thirteen to fourteen hundred pages now. But I mean, year after year, Ryan, I was just seeing people really transformed in their walks with Jesus. I mean, they loved Jesus more. They had a greater confidence. They had all these benefits that we can talk about later. And I, I just wanted to know why that was the case. And so I I took my doctoral work and my my focus on my dissertation just to try to peel the layers back on why that was so. And, you know, I don't know, 164 pages later, however. however I think it's 70, 177 pages later. Whatever my dissertation is, whenever I was finished, I was like, I presented that uh, to the to the uh, powers that be at the seminary. I was like, this is the proof in the pudding. And it was a, it was fun. It was a, it was a fun deal. Part of that process was interviewing people. And again, we do systematic for the better part of seven months. I interviewed people, asked their experiences. It was a, it was a, uh, a qualitative research assignment, so it was it was fun. It was fun and hard and all those things, but the just I came away going, wow! It it really does some transformational work with adult learning, uh, just doing systematic and and, and and growing them in Jesus in ways that they've just never grown before. In your research, did you find other churches doing similar classes and emphasis on learning? You know, I, I do think there's churches all around the world uh, that do training. There weren't a lot of churches back in the day. I mean, we've been doing this for over a decade now, or at least a decade, if not more. And there weren't a lot of churches doing systematic theology. In fact, uh, you could probably count them on one hand. So we were kind of on the forefront of that. 
But now you see a lot of churches, at least churches within our, for those of you familiar with our Acts 29 network, the people that we kind of run with to do mission and church planning, a lot of them are now starting to do more theological work. And so it's been, you know, maybe we were on the vanguard of that just because we had some personal convictions about it. But at the, early on in the game, no one was doing it because it's it's hard. Uh, it takes you know, it, it takes some time and effort to do it. And essentially, what I tell people is it's, we, we do kind of a glorified book club is really what we do. We just walk through a page, like, what do you think about this page? What did you, what did you get there? Let's turn to the next page. It's just the length of it and your willingness to stay in it. And what, what, what I tell people is it's probably going to be the hardest study you've ever done, but it's probably going to be the best study you'll ever do. And I think people would testify to that because of, of what it what it does for them when they work through systematic because it affects their 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 feelings their the, the way that they think and their actions in in a, in a in a very systematic way. So that's kind of what I learned from my from my study. So how do you make sure that systematic theology doesn't just become like an exercise in increasing your head knowledge? I mean, you mentioned like yeah, it affects how you how you live and how you yeah. you know how you view the world. I mean, how how do you make it not just in with your head? You know, here's what's funny. Sometimes, and I, you're not saying this, but sometimes I think there's a myth that that basically people that want to stay very simple in their faith like to guilt other people on to say, you know, what well, I don't want to become a Pharisee. Because, you know, Pharisees, they have a lot of knowledge. They have very little heart, which really is just a ruse for, I just want to stay ignorant about my faith. I mean, Jesus never calls us to stay ignorant. He calls us to, matter of fact, I have a passage that I'd like to quote here because All I right. think it's something like, you know, uh, 2 Peter three seventeen and 18 says this. It says, you therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So to me, when people are like, well, you know, I, I don't want to learn too much and get a big head. Well, that's a more character issue. Hmm. But, but, but Jesus actually calls us to grow our brains all the time. I mean, the, the Greek word behind the word disciples, methetes, which simply means learner. And so I, I sometimes I think it's a false flag when people say that. But even with that being said, there is a tendency and often in our hearts to be prideful about anything. So, again, I told you earlier, I just got through finishing my first day of systematic theology for the year 2021-2022. And I, what I told those 23 students in there... They're going to be with me two hours a day, two hours a, every Thursday for the better part of seven months. I said, the aim is not just to get bigger heads. The aim is to have bigger hearts for Jesus. But it, I think it's somewhat interesting that when we actually fill their heads with good doctrine and knowledge, that they ultimately get bigger hearts because of it. Because your heart doesn't grow unless your head, it goes through your head first. So what I, what I found, and what I found even in my, my dissertation work, was that these truths first go through your head so it changes the way you think. And once it changes the way you think, it trickles down to your affections and changes the way you feel. And as it changes the way you feel, it changes your motivations to change the things that you do. Well, that just sounds like the process, hopefully, that the Spirit's working in to grow us spiritually. And so um, I, I do think there can be times, if you're not careful, to get a, to just to have head knowledge where you're prideful. But you can do that reading a 10-page book on, on the Bible. 
this is 1400 pages where you're working in community and you just see how it humbles people. You know, really good theologians and this really good theology makes God a lot bigger than probably how you see them, see him. And it makes you a lot smaller than how you see yourself. That's what I've tended to see in, in my 10 years doing this. And so uh, when you get right-sized and God gets right-sized, what usually happens is it changes your affections. And so it's funny, the really great theologians that I've ever got to see or talk to or study under, they just really love Jesus because they're getting to learn about him and just follow through to what we see here in Second Peter, what we see here in Matthew 28. So um, I, I, I think, at least in my experience, uh, we do talk about, hey, don't get a big head. The, the, the main goal is to have a bigger heart for Jesus and the gospel and, and the Lord of the universe. And I think that usually happens. Uh, I, I, I don't think I've seen a lot of people get bigger heads from it. I mean, because you can get a big head because of anything. So it's, I'd like to think it's really the character and the quality of the people of Clear Creek. But it is something we talk about, something to be aware of. If anything, what we tell people is you're going to learn some things that other people aren't going to know. And so you just, I, I call them cage phasers. I said, listen, for a while, you're going to get really excited about this truth and you're going to think everyone ought to know it like you know it. But just remember, we've crockpotted you with this. It's taken a long time. You can't microwave someone that's never heard about this. And so there are other things I worry about more when we do systematic theology than are you just going to get a big head? Though we, we keep an eye for that. But I'm, I'm always amazed to see how much it changes the hearts of people, how the Lord uses that to do that. So. Yeah, I you know I'm I know I'm cribbing off of Jen Wilkins stuff from Women of the Word, but um, I think it applies to Bible study or to systematic theology really. But um, she just regular and I, she's probably cribbing it for somebody else. But um, this concept that beholding leads to becoming that when you behold right. the beauty yeah. of the Lord, that you will become like Him. And that's what we're doing in systematic theology. We are looking at who God is and how He does the things He does and why He does. And there's just no way that you can immerse yourself in the glories of His character and His ways and not change your affections and change your values. You are going to learn to treasure who God is coming to our classes. You are going to see that depicted before you in every chapter, and you're going to walk away worshiping. Um, you know, we don't actually sing in our class because we don't, um, but Grudem's chapters, every one of them ends with a hymn. Um that is connected to the topic that we worship God because of what he's done and who he is. And, and that really, we want that to be our heart. As we said, even if we don't sing the songs out loud in class, y'all don't, um, we do not. <laughs> oh, well, so, no, we don't either, <laughs> but just you sing it. And yeah. everyone has to listen to you. At the yeah. End of I just class. do a solo at the end of every class. That's why I wonder why we've been shrinking every week. <laughs> Everybody has to leave early, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yes. I got to leave right now. Yeah. So, I mean, Yancey made it seem like at the beginning of his class, he really tries to emphasize that. I mean, wh what do you say at the beginning of your class just to help people understand that, like, this doesn't end at just your head, but actually has practical implications for how you live your life? So, I think, again, this is maybe a difference between men and women. I also, I will say, I do get... So the occasional like person who went to Bible college or someone like that who has a lot of coming. But I, I mean, I... It is not uncommon for me to have people come in who did not grow up in church, yeah. 
have not studied this stuff, are coming in with almost nothing. And so I almost have to address more like a lack of confidence at the beginning of classes than a lack of humility. Like I want them to see like you can do this. You can understand this. You can take the time and read and we'll discuss it and we'll answer questions and we we can figure this out. You are capable of grasping this and explaining it. You can teach this to your children. You can share this with your small group. Um, God has gifted you to know his word and to see him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we definitely talk about approaching theology with humility, but that's not the typical problem I see in my class. Um, I want to encourage women that maybe you never went to college. Maybe you, it's been 40 years since you graduated from college. Whatever it happens to be, um, you are capable of understanding this text and working through it with us. And we'd have the same. I mean, I, I feel that's similar to what we do. And I, I work with leaders. I work with the leaders of Clear Creek. So a lot of these men and women are navigators or they're ministry leaders. And and they still feel incredibly intimidated because <clears throat> they just didn't have this kind of training. And most, most I mean, 99% of people don't. So we more try to allay their fears than try to say, now, hold on, don't get a big head about this because they're, they're already a little trepidatious even being there. And so, but it's always fun to see at the end of those seven or so months, just the transformation, the confidence that they have and, and the willingness they have to even want to, like a lot of them want to study something else. Like, and it's funny because some people are like, I've never read a book this large. And others will be like, well, I've never read a book in the last 10 years. And so there's, there's stretching for all of us, but it's, it's, it's a, it's a worthwhile endeavor to say the least. I know when some people sign up for systematic theology as a class, they are, they're interested in studying some of the more controversial, difficult topics that are found in the Bible. So they have this curiosity about some of those topics. What, what are some of those things that people are sort of itching to get to? I don't know, Manny. I don't have any. I mean, they're all they're all pretty straightforward in my class. <laughs> yeah. I, I think I would say that where it kind of gets in the weeds a little is any any topic where, like Yancey mentioned earlier, there can be multiple interpretations that are all acceptable to Orthodox Christianity. So then we just have to spend a lot, like things like creation or church government or gifts of the Holy Spirit or things that there are a lot of options, then we just have to work through them. And sometimes people don't like that. They want to just be told the correct answer so that they can believe it. Um, so then I tell them to go take Yancey's class and he'll tell them all the one way, to, <laughs> the right way to think. Um, Come on now. But, but those, those can be challenging. I mean, they're topics that are just, they're just tough to talk. You know, things like providence and the problem of evil. That's that's just hard. You know, that's hard for anybody, no matter how many times you've gone through it. Um, you know, we have a whole chapter on final judgment and eternal punishment. That's that's hard to talk about. You know, I, I tell my class, if we're going to spend an hour and a half talking about hell, you should be like, we should be grieving as we talk about that. So that's not really fun. Now, we recognize God's goodness and his justice and doing that, but it's it's hard to think about. It's hard to talk about. So, um I don't know. You probably have more people who are excited about controversy in your class. Uh, than no, I, do. I don't know if they're more excited. <laughs> I, I would, I would just concur that. I think there are a lot of people that that walk in there thinking there's just because they were raised with one view, they don't know of other views. They think that's it. So she, Mandy, gave the example of creation. We've, I mean, even when we did faith and science series, we did it like a creation seminar. 
just a forum, whatever we call it. I, think, I don't know if it was a forum or a seminar. We, we call it a seminar at that point. Seminar. Was, yeah. and, so, <clears throat> and we had hundreds of people come to that. And in that seminar, we did it much like we would do with systematic theology. We just said, okay, here are kind of the major views of how God created the world, at least how it's interpreted, major interpretive views of Genesis 1 through 3. And people get in there like, what? There's more than one way to see this? Uh, is that kind of a recent development? No, it's actually almost from the beginning of the church, from Augustine, all this. And people, they've never heard of that before. And so they're fascinated by it. They're fascinated that there's different views of the day-age theory or the literal th- way to see it or the literary framework theory. I mean, I know that you guys may be listening to this going, what are you talking about? But these are just different ways that the church and uh, her leaders have interpreted these texts that a lot of people thought there was only one way to do that. Well, you can do the same thing at the back of the Bible with Revelation and know that there's just a bunch of different ways that people have taken it that are legitimate, biblical, you know, people are authentic followers of Jesus that have just different ways that we we understand these things. And we don't tell people, <clears throat> excuse me, we don't tell people this is the one right way. Now, that's not to say we don't tell people here's the one we prefer or here's the one we like, or I'll, I'll tell people which ones I, I think are the right ones. Uh, but I wouldn't say that if someone held a different view that they would be wrong. It just would be a different view. So, Part of those things are what you know fire people up. Same thing as she said with uh, the gifts of the Spirit. Some people want to talk about speaking in tongues, and some people want to—they they don't even know what you're talking about. And so what we try to do is just lay it all out before them and say, here's what the church has kind of understood this. And that it's kind of mind-blowing for a lot of people and somewhat freeing for them because they feel like, oh, I can— Oh, maybe I should be more charitable to people. <laughs> maybe I should. Mm. Maybe I should. Maybe I should show a greater charity to Christians of different traditions that I don't have to agree with, but I don't have to, you know, put my dukes up and get ready to fight them because they're honestly coming to their positions in ways that maybe the church has allowed over the years, uh, or at least I should say, church has allowed that, that Christians have embraced over the years. That doesn't make them heretics. Doesn't make them evil. Just. We just interpret it differently. So we, we, we get into a lot of those things throughout systematic theology, and it's just it's not just learning what they are. It's for people turning the light on in their head going, what? There are other ways to see this? And, and then we, we spend a lot – I know I spend a lot of time talking about here, – here's how we see that at Clear Creek. So we, she mentioned the name Grudem. That's the author, Wayne Grudem. It's his systematic theology that we use. Um, and what we do is there's a lot of, the reason we use it is that most of the answers that he comes to are answers that we already embrace at Clear Creek. Uh, but there are times where he comes to those answers in ways that we like, well, we, we would do it. We would emphasize this way to get to that answer. And then sometimes he gets to answers are like, no, we, we don't agree with that. And again, it's not—it's on secondary issues and minor stuff. But we still have a dialogue with it, and just you know, Ryan, having people watch either Mandy or I walk through a systematic theology book and dialogue critically with it, constructively but critically, is another kind of revelation or epiphany for a lot of people. Like we're also teaching you how to read Christian stuff in a way that's helpful and discerning. So, I mean, I, I know I've said a lot there, but. That's the kind of weightiness that we have, even in the controversial stuff. And I, I never shy away from controversy because I, I think it's the place where we really learn not just the controversies, but how we deal with controversy. And that's a whole nother subject unto itself. 
Yeah, I, I think also that there's um you know there's an emotional component to these kind of controversial topics that you know I, I see a lot of people who come in with a belief that they've been told their whole life and then when we start looking at what does scripture say about this topic it it just doesn't hold up and um, it's not that they're unwilling or that they don't trust the Bible so they won't let go of it it's that it feels almost like a a betrayal of your parents maybe who took you to that church or who taught you those things or the ch- a church that maybe really loved you and you care for those people. Um, and so then to say like they were wrong, they didn't know the, you know, that can feel like it's a, it's an emotional response. It feels like you're, you're a traitor to, to people who loved you and cared for you. And, and so we, we talk about that and we try to give people grace and time, um, a safe place to kind of wrestle and consider those things. Um, that that that's that's real and that that matters. Now we don't let that hold us back from recognizing what Scripture says and agreeing with it. Um, but we're not going to just discount those those emotions that are that are really there. One of those topics that seems to be somewhat emotional for people would be election. How, how have you seen election work out in those conversations? Yeah, Mandy, have you have you had that happen? Um, you know, it's interesting because um, I, that's not one of the biggest things for us. I think one of the bigger topics often in my class is baptism. Um, hmm. You know, we have a lot of people in our church. Nice who, pivot, by yeah, the way. Yeah, that was a nice good one. I, I saw what Great you did pivot. there. Wow. <laughs> Man, that's a master class right there on that pivot. Okay. No, we, with it. we really do have a lot of people in our church who grew up in other church contexts. And so when we address at our church an issue like baptism, when we, t- we try to show in Scripture that believers' baptism is the pattern in the New Testament, um, that can feel like um, kind of a punch in the face to the parents who had you baptized as an infant. Um, and, and so people are, that, that's an emotional resistance more than it is a mental or spiritual one. So I really, for, you can talk about election because really <laughs> that is not a, like, people don't fight me on that one. Well, yeah. I, I, let me just first say, I agree with Mandy that I don't know if I would say it's more emotional. It is as emotional when we talk about baptism as well. And, and we're talking, again, I'm talking with the leaders of Clear Creek, our lay leaders, who, at least on paper, believe what we believe about believers' baptism, <clears throat> which I said a lot of belief in that in that one sentence. But it's still very emotional because a lot of those, a lot of our brothers and sisters at Clear Creek come out of traditions where they were baptized as infants. And so they're, they do feel like in learning this, uh, that they deal with some of those early emotions of of hey man you know my parents did this they did this in goodwill and good faith and, 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 and but we actually walk through all that if anything what systematic helps them see is like oh well yeah it was worth making that journey and worth struggling with the the emotions behind it because now we know why we do baptize only believers and so it strengthens their resolve but we do kind of it's almost like a therapy and a counseling session because we're walking people through not only the emotions that they have from their own backgrounds, but we're actually helping them say, here's how, here's how you need to help. Here's how, here's how you can pass for other people in that. Cause it's not systematic theology is not just this dialectical teaching environment. It really is pastoral care often. Cause we're, because as Mandy said, <clears throat> excuse me again, our belief systems are tied. We're tied emotionally to them. So when we get to election, you know, that's a huge one for people. So I'll, I have people that have taken my, class, if you will, on election, that one class of the seven months, and come back every year to hear me talk about it. 
just because they're they're still trying to wrap their head around it, which I tell them you're never going to be able to wrap your head around it. So, you know, election is one of those things where a lot of people come from different traditions. Some people are like, yep, it's what I already believed. Other people are like, don't even know what you're talking about. I, th- I thought the election was already over. And, <laughs> and so they don't understand that what we're talking about is how God ordains people to salvation. They might know it as predestination. and they, But everyone comes in with all these kind of preconceived ideas. And so we, we work through that. And then I'll tell them, like, here's how Clear Creek understands this. And we do it in a way where without doing it right here and now, where we talk about the tensions and the mystery of it all. And it seems like everyone's really okay with how we've explained it, even though they don't really fully understand it. And again, I tell them, then you're probably on the right track because it's just a mystery. But they they also come to grips with the fact that, wow, uh, you know, we... Before I even claimed to, came to Clear Creek, someone told me y'all believed this and this is what it meant, and you're not saying that at all. I'm like, no, it's it's really not what we're saying at all. And you finally get to hear what we teach about it instead of having some kind of straw man argument or someone's kind of saying something against us that they know nothing about. And what I always tell people is, well, you know, how long have you been here? Well, I've been here for 10 years. Well, what how have you seen our theology of what all these things we believe, including election, evidence itself in the last 10 years of ministry that you've seen at our church? You see that we're trying to reach people for Jesus. We see we baptize all these people. We, so whatever we're doing, we hope that it increases our ability to do the mission of God in the world and and be a part of God's kingdom. So, but yes, those kinds of things. Uh, but she mentioned, you know, Manny mentioned providence. That's a big one. Uh, there, there are all kinds. It just depending upon the person, there are all kinds of road bumps. And so w- one of the things that we learned, <clears throat> that I learned in my doctoral work is that adult learners, there's just a different way that they learn than when you do when you're a kid. When you're a kid, like, we're all sending our kids off to school this past week, and I got one kid's real excited. My other kid's like, Dad, I could I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm ready for summer already. Because he just doesn't care to want to learn these things. And so, but that, he's not unlike a lot of kids. They don't, they just, but they have to, right? They're forced to learn. Adults aren't forced to learn now. So everyone that comes to Mandy's systematic or my systematic, these are adults that want to be there. And what what uh, sociologists and and really uh, scholars about kind of growing in education teach us is that when you're an adult learner, man, that stuff sticks all the more because you're self motivated. And so what we find out is this: everyone's got this. You know, scholars like Jack Mesereau and other people will talk about. And stop me if I need to stop me on this because uh, this is kind of my systematic dissertation work, but. Every adult has a habit of mind. It's a it's a set of assumptions they believe that it, that they that they use to interpret life with. But when they come into systematic and they learn something that that really conflicts with how they see life, it's disorienting to them. And that's what's supposed to happen. They're supposed to have this disorienting dilemma, like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do with this new truth? And they get emotional about it. Some people get angry about it. Some people get inquisitive. And what happens over the period of seven months is that they'll take that truth that they don't really believe, but you've given enough scripture there, they got to wrestle with it, that they'll kind of test it out in their brain a little bit to see if it works. You know, like I'll try it for a week. And then all of a sudden, once they try it, they see how it better explains their lives, better explains the Bible. And then all of a sudden they get super excited about it and they want everyone else, you know, I kind of said this earlier, they want everyone else to believe what they believe. 
But that's kind of the process of how an adult learns, and they have to do it in community. At least it's best done in community is what we've learned. And so you got all this disorientation. You're learning about it. Oh, my gosh, I don't know if this is really true. Then you start to test it out. It becomes true. It clears up your your perspectives even more so you're more reoriented to the world and then you want to learn with people about it all. I mean, that's basically the magic that happens, at least from a, a, a an educational side in, in systematic. You're, you're throwing people straight pitches most of the time of stuff they know about. They get more encouraged. But every once in a while, they receive like what's a curveball, like, oh, I never thought about that. I've never thought about this with God. I never knew he did that. And as Mandy said, you're giving this clear picture of a mysterious God who creates all things, and it's just mind-blowing to people, and they have to work through it. But because we do it in community, because people get to talk about it, they learn it better, and it's the stuff that sticks with them. So I know I'm probably waxing not as poetic about stuff I've learned for my, my doctoral work, but really, that's one of the reasons I think systematic is what it is, because it allows people to do it for a long haul in community over stuff that they may never thought about that can disorient them, but hopefully they come through it reoriented with greater clarity about who God is, who they are, and the world that we're living in on mission for Jesus. Hmm. All right. For anyone who's interested in registering, taking one of your classes, tell me more about those details. When, where, how do they sign up? Well, my class is going to be on Tuesday mornings this year, uh, 9.30 to 11. Um, during peewee school. So if you've got a kid, it's easy to drop them off and come right over. Um, it's going to start on the Tuesday after Labor Day. Um, so just in a couple of weeks. And you say you get online and register at clearcreek.org slash classes, something yep. like that. That'll get you there. That'll um, look, get you there. Women's Systematic Theology is the very last class listed, so keep scrolling down. Um, because it's and, W, not because yeah, it's women's not, or the last one. They're not all in alphabetical order, Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> we, maybe we got to move around. <laughs> Sorry about that. Ryan's having a little disorientation right yeah, now. No. So he's got to... But it, I'm, it's I'm there, not, so the just keep going and hit that register button, and it'll send your information to me, and then go online and order your book. What about you? Yeah, unfortunately, mine's already started. <laughs> so, and and it, we have, um, mine is actually done in conjunction with, I keep saying LDP, so we do the leadership development program at Clear Creek Community Church, and so mine's not even an open class. I even hesitate to even talk about it because it's it really is the second year of our leadership development program. Uh, we have almost every year, but but not in the last couple, have had a, another systematic theology during the week. Uh, we don't have one this year uh, for various and sundry reasons. And so, uh, what I would just tell uh, the, the bulk of Clear Creek Community Church that really wants to get into it is to actually we we have we have small groups that do it that do systematic theology. And so that may be something you want to do with your small group. And we've given green lights to that. If anything, just hopefully hold out till, till next time around. We do our round of classes. We may start one. And so just always keep your eye open. But whenever you see a systematic theology out there and you want to do it, just know that for what we've been talking about for the past 30, 40 so minutes, that's what they're going to get. And uh, a, a, just a, a way to expand your horizons, showing you who God is as best as the Bible, as we can interpret how the Bible reveals him, and knowing that he's way beyond that what we could ever put into a corner. But what we do know about God and what we can learn together about him is just absolutely amazing and um, life-changing. And joining Mandy's group or being a part of another systematic theology group, I mean, I'm, it's a lot of work, but man, there are fewer things that you'll get as much of a benefit out of as when you do that. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, guys. Yeah. Great hearing about your classes, your heart for the church and for helping people grow in this way. So it's been good talking with you. Thanks, Thanks. Ryan. All right, for those of you who are listening, hopefully our conversation gave you a little more insight into uh, what systematic theology is, why we study it, why we do those classes around here. As we said, if you are interested in joining Mandy's class or any of the other classes that we have happening this fall, go to clearcreek.org slash classes or just go to clearcreek.org and click on classes and we'll get you registered on there. Um, And while you're checking out things on the website, make sure you go by Clear Creek Resources. You can read some of the other articles and videos, sermons that we post on there on a weekly basis. Uh, But that's it for this episode. We'll see you next time.